Hey there, how are you? Hey, I'm doing okay. I just finished up another day of school and podcast editing, so I feel productive, and I'm ready to just get into another conversation. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's been a whirlwind of a week here because my parents were in town, and that is always a blast, and we had a great time, but I had to And get they up. got to sleep on the good bed, and yes. you slept on the air mattress. Air mattresses. Um <laughs> Air mattress says, so what we have is not one queen. We have two twin air mattresses that we put side by side. But that means there is this giant gulf between us where one air mattress ends and the other begins. That makes me want to reach back into my 90s Christian music and sing to my wife, uh, there's a cross to bridge the great divide. Um <laughs> Uh, and so my wife has to go to bed with me singing that an unfortunate number of times. <laughs> that is fantastic. I'm pretty sure the creators of that song never envisioned your scenario. <laughs> I, I sincerely hope not for their sake. Uh, but before this spirals completely out of control, please tell me you had something you wanted to talk about today. <laughs> I do. I do. And... The genesis for this comes from a conversation I had with a friend of mine. He just moved to a different part of Oregon and was getting to know some people and was talking to this guy. And I don't remember exactly what the conversation entailed, but there was some theological misconception with this guy. And my friend tried gently to correct it. And in the middle of it, the guy just held up his hand, like right in front of my friend's face and says, I don't do school. I just do Jesus. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, right. But I do school and I do Jesus and you do too. Yeah. So I want to know, I would love to have a conversation about what is the role of study in one's personal life? Why study the Bible? Mm. That's good. Why? And, and I would add to that, if we're going to talk about why, I'm curious to always add the kind of the practical, what has been working for you lately? Sure. Absolutely. That's a secondary question. So really, you're asking the question, why study the Bible? Is that where we're, we're hitting today? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this also hits home for me in another way in that I'm going to seminary, and some people have referred to seminary as cemetery because this is where your faith goes to die. And the more you study the Bible, the less your faith is present and it's going to be quashed. And there is a negative view towards study in the church at times. And I want to explore from, you know, two of us that have studied and yet found their faith to be intact, is there value in study or did we preserve our faith in spite of our study? Mm, that's good. And, and just to start off, to make it abundantly clear, like you, my experience of studying the Bible is that it has been wildly helpful to my faith, to my worship, to my daily relationship with Jesus. I find study to be tremendously valuable. So I'm I'm curious, 
though. So I am 15-ish years away from any kind of academic setting. Hmm. And so I know what I mean by study the Bible, but I'm curious, what does the word study mean in the phrase study the Bible to you as a seminary student? Boy, I mean, my whole seminary curriculum has been about study and study has been multifaceted. So it has been studying the original languages. It's been studying systematic theology. It's been studying the art and practice of preaching. It's been studying all of the books of the Bible, at least in some overview fashion, to understand their historical context, their original audience, the author of these writings as best we can determine them in some cases, and the history of transmission of those writings, how they came to be included in our canon, uh, some church history, some philosophy, and how Christian thought interfaces with the philosophical thought of our day and all throughout history. So it's been a lot of different facets of study that all kind of coalesce into understanding our faith, understanding scripture, and understanding how to communicate it in our time and place to the people that we interact with. So to me, study is all of those things, but I don't think study has to include all of those things for all people. Not everybody is called to know that much or to study that wide of a degree, but I think to some extent, we're all called to study and understand the Word of God as it is written. Well, and and I think this comes back to the, the driving principle for me is a verse that we've referred to before and which most people who are listening with us here will be familiar with, which is the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Study, for me, is learning to love God with my mind. To whatever degree I have the capacity to think, I want to think in ways that honor God. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think of Joshua 1.8, where it says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate Mm -hmm. on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So this idea of meditation, I think, involves study. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the same is true in 2 Timothy 2.15, where he says, do your best or be eager, or some in some cases, they, they actually translate it as study, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This eagerness, this sense of diligence, this sense of meditation and absorption of the word cannot happen without a layer of study involved you got to understand what it's saying in the first place in order to take it deep into you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I would I would suggest that people who are not authentically studying the Bible, who nevertheless read the Bible, are ultimately just meditating on their own opinions as reflected back to them in the Bible. Mm-hmm. How, how can I say that better? 
because I don't I feel like that was a convoluted way to say it. I guess I'm trying to say I think one of the essential elements that make studying scripture and studying scripture in the sense of trying to understand the culture in which it was originally written, the uh, mindset or mental framework that the original author was writing in. All of that is important to me because if I'm not paying attention to those things, it's very easy for me to take what the Bible says accidentally out of context and twist it to mean what I want it to mean. And the really big problem is that that doesn't happen on purpose. It happens by accident. Yes. And it's funny because the Bible is probably the only thing that we do this with. When I've got somebody joining me to watch a TV show and they're, I'm on season three and they haven't watched seasons one and two, I take a few minutes and catch them up. Okay, so this is what's happening in this character's life, and this is what's happening in so-and-so's life, and this is the plot to this point, and you got to know that so-and-so's mom has cancer, and they're really conflicted about it because they don't have a good relationship with their mom, and blah, 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 right? And you get all of this context put together, and then you're like, okay, now you're ready to watch the show. Or we do this with, you know, even personal letters. If you find your grandma's letters that she stashed away in the attic— and you start reading them, you have to know to whom was she writing or who was writing to her. And you have to know what was going on in their life or the lives of the, the other letter writer. So you have to know these things in order to make sense of the document that you have or the TV show that you have. We do this all the time, but somehow or another, it gets lost when we're reading the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. We treat it like... Because God is involved, we can just sort of flip the pages, look at a verse, and it's bound to make sense, like some sort of 5,000-page set of fortune cookies or something. <laughs> right, right. And I think people uh, rightly view the fact that they can find themselves in Scripture, Absolutely. But maybe wrongly view that they are the original audience. And that is not the case. There was an original audience. There was somebody or a group of somebodies to whom this was originally written and for whom it was originally written. So we have to know something about that context in order to even understand how we now apply it to us. Yeah. One of the most fascinating things that I have found as I've studied the Bible is how often the biblical authors inspired by God are simply not answering the questions I'm asking. Mm -hmm. They're just not. And when they're not answering a question I'm asking, I have to choose to do one of two things. Shoehorn their answers into my questions or abandon my questions and try to let the Bible help me ask even better questions. Yes. And it's funny because even if the particular book of the Bible that we might be reading at that time is not addressing the question or the thought that we have, 
it doesn't mean that it's not covered elsewhere in the Bible or that we can't piece together an answer based on some other answers. It just may mean there's a whole different point to this passage that I'm looking at right now, and I need to understand it on its own terms. Yeah. You know, I keep coming back to one of my all-time favorite verses, which is Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Hmm. I think I've even mentioned that verse before on the podcast, but that is my starting point when I read the Bible. God is big and wise. It goes on to say his judgments are unsearchable. His pathways are untraceable. His mind is unknowable. If that's the case, I should come at this with a profound humility that says I probably do not know a lot of things. Yeah, it reminds me of my own experience going to seminary. My intention after college was to go straight into seminary, and that didn't happen. There was about a 15-year gap between going to college and going to seminary. And I'm very thankful for that gap now, because in the state of mind that I was in after college, I thought I knew stuff. I thought I knew the Bible. I thought I knew God. I thought I had this all sewn up and I was just going to go into seminary. I was going to bang out the degree and I was going to get into full-time ministry because I knew what I was talking about. And the 15 years it took for God to break me down from that and teach me that I don't know what I'm talking about. And he is fundamentally doing something different than I am doing. And for me to get on board with that has shaped the way that I've interacted with my seminary curriculum. It's been this awesome experience of just saying, okay, God, I don't, I don't know any of this stuff. I probably should have. This all kind of seems fairly basic in the end, but I don't know. So teach me, show me. Mm-hmm. And when you take God's word on his terms It's so much more rich and enjoyable. And you do have those moments where, like you said, oh, the riches of the grace of God. The very end of Romans 11, right? Nobody can say that Romans is not a deep theological book. Even if that wasn't necessarily Paul's intent, it still has a lot of deep, complicated theology in it. And the end of that expansive section, first 11 chapters, where he really gets into the meat and potatoes of his theology. He ends with this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And he goes on and on. It's this doxology that follows theology. Hmm. And theology should lead us to doxology. In other words, study of God should lead us to praise. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, for me at least, there is something analogous between how many people connect with God through worship songs and how I connect with God through study. Mm. There is something about the moment of enlightenment in which I understand a truth on either a deeper or broader level that makes me stop and sort of say, wow. (laughs) 
you know, and this happens all the time. For me, you know, you mentioned kind of the structure of Romans 11. One of the places this happens the most is when I am zooming out from an individual passage. There are very few moments I read a passage of scripture that I am unaware of what's going on in the story. I have read every story. I have read every verse lots and lots of times. But what I seldom fully grasp is the ornate beauty of the way any given book is structured, that it's not just a story or a point, but that something beautiful is happening from the beginning to the end of Mark or John or Isaiah, um, grasping the inspiration of God on the macro scale of the book's full structure often leaves me awed by how incredibly wise and beautiful the truth is and how great is the God that orchestrates it. Yes. And to go back to your statement about how some people connect with God through song, and uh, you and I often connect with God through study. One, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I do think we all Absolutely. have a, pr- a preference toward one or the other, but it uh, doesn't exclude the other and shouldn't exclude the other. Quite frankly, if you and I fail to worship God in song, we've missed a piece of our spiritual walk. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember how there was a moment in church, I don't know, about a year ago, where these things really converged for me because the worship was all centered around the exact ideas and passages that I had been studying that week. Mm. And it was this great moment. I'm So there's a, have you seen the movie Hitch with? Uh, oh, yes, of course. Okay, One of the yeah. deep, most profoundly theological mov- movies that have ever happened. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know about that. I but, quote it for discipleship purposes almost on a weekly basis. I kid you not. Oh, that's so great. I wonder so, if it's the same part. I don't know. But there's this scene at the very end where he realizes that he loves this girl and he's going to go back and just pour out his heart about how much he loves this girl. And he realizes that everything that he's been telling other people about relationships is something that all of a sudden has found root in his heart. And he's through the door trying to explain this. And he grabs at his stomach area and he goes, I know down deep in this area. (laughs) Right. And it's this visceral moment where he's like, I get it on a level. I've never gotten it before. And when my study and my worship at church converged so powerfully, it was like, I know that I know that I know in this area exactly what is happening in this moment. And I was able to worship God so fully because the knowledge and worship, doxology, theology and doxology were married in that moment. It was so great. Mm. So... You talked about the end result, but I'm curious, moving into the how a little bit, 
What did study look like that brought you to that moment? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, quite frankly, it was an overview of that book that we were reading. I think it was Revelation, which if any listeners are out there that are like me, you hear the word revelation, you're like, I'm out. This is, uh, we're, we're now into wacko territory, and I don't think I want to hear what's coming next. But mm-hmm. a study of revelation, a good study of revelation, should not bypass all of that, but it should bring together the theme of the book that is completely outside of the speculative theology. Mm. And I was really going through and, and seeing Revelation in a brand new way and actually being excited about this book and actually like personally feeling for the first time that I could treat it as part of the canon uh, and not some just hobby horse of speculative theologians or people who just want to argue on the internet about stuff. But it's a legitimate part of the canon that we can find an element of God in. And so it was really just an overview of that book, which Oddly enough, this is so funny. Like I'm paying all this money to learn what I could have learned by just looking at a study Bible and reading the introduction to a book. This is who wrote it. This is who they wrote to. This is the occasion. This is kind of the date. This is some of the things that were going on in that environment. Let's set the context. Let's set the mood. Let's give you an overview of the book. It's all like scholars have written this and published it and you can just have it. So you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to like really go that far to find the information that was ultimately really helpful to me. Yeah. If if I can take a minute and as a non-current seminary student, if I can plug where I get this information, one of my favorite study resources in the last couple of years, and I, have, I just love them, uh, Zondervan has put out a series of audio lectures on probably half the books in the Bible. So it'll just be John audio lectures or Isaiah audio lectures. And they match the NIV application commentary in that they are lectures by the scholar who wrote that book. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, I'm currently listening to Gary Burge lecture on the Gospel of John. Right now, that is what I am part of my devotional life is listening to this set of lectures. These are high-level scholars taking hundreds of pages of information that they have written and boiling it down to six to 12 hours of lectures. But they break the lectures down to these like, 15 to 25 minute lectures. Hmm. So, I mean, to be able to pay 15 bucks on Audible and get the insights of a Gary Burge on the Gospel of John is just breathtaking to me. Yeah. Um, I have so much fun with these. The authors are just extraordinary. If you want to go deeper, you know where to go because they wrote this other commentary. But many of Mm. us, including myself, do not have time to read a commentary on the Gospel of John. That is just not what my life is availing me of right now. But you know what? I can listen to seven and a half hours of lectures. 
I just listen to them once a day when I'm in the car or whatever it is I'm doing. That's so great. What a great resource. It's unbelievable. I'm so grateful to Zondervan for developing these. As a matter of fact, my local library's digital collection actually has them all, so I don't even have to pay for them. So you mentioned commentaries, and I want to recommend a commentary. Now, commentaries sound very technical, very difficult, inaccessible to the average person sitting in the pew every Sunday. And for some commentaries, that is actually true. There are commentaries written at three different levels, the highest of which is commentaries written to other scholars that are really highly technical. You need to know Greek and Hebrew. You need to know all the argumentation and all the big fancy words. Really tough sledding. Then there's the commentary level that's addressed to decently educated pastors that maybe they take the Greek and the Hebrew and they like define it and they transliterate it rather than make you read it in the original language. And they, they kind of walk you through some of the technical stuff. And then there's this most accessible level of commentaries. And that's what I want to recommend. There is a great commentary series called the Story of God Bible Commentary. Have you read anything from this? I actually have not. You have recommended them many times, uh, and I just have never gotten there. So super, super accessible. It does have some theological words from time to time. So, hey, you might learn a few new words, but it looks like a book when you read it. And they break it up into like three sections, like listen to the story. This is put out by Zondervan as well. So they put out the NIV section that is going to be covered in that chapter. So listen to the story, explain the story. And that's where you get the true like commentary part where they try to tease out some things and teach you a little bit about it. And then they have like a live the story section. And the live the story is all about application and how you can put this into your personal life. It is so good. It is worth making it your devotional. If you just want to take... I'm holding right now the uh, commentary on Romans by Michael Bird, who incidentally has been become one of my favorite theologians. And my favorite college professor, Dr. Rodney Reeves, he wrote the Matthew commentary. These make wonderful study guides and devotional resources. So read the passage and read this chapter to go with it. It will enrich your reading at a really accessible level. That's awesome. It's not often you can recommend a whole series like that. Yeah, and I've only really interacted with those two. As I translate with my buddy in the mornings, when we're translating the book of Matthew, we're also using Dr. Reeves's commentary as kind of this balancing part. And then we had to read all of the Romans commentary for my Romans class, and it was phenomenal. And I saw that somebody else was using it devotionally, and I think it makes a great devotional. That's amazing. I'll have to check those out. I always mean to and keep not. Um, sure, right? We only have time for so much, but exactly. as long as you're doing something, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to ask you, we are talking about resources that are largely traditional styles, lectures, books, those kinds of things. 
I am thinking of the generation younger than us that defaults to going to YouTube to learn stuff. (laughs) Um, And I am a huge YouTube fan, so I don't want this to be like a rant at YouTube kind of a thing because YouTube has saved my life more times than I can count when I'm trying to fix my moped, fix my shower, figure out how to fix the soundboard at church. So many times YouTube has helped me out. Yeah, Um, same. But just tell me your thoughts on the relationship between studying the Bible and YouTube. Look, a lot of these wonderful scholars that are writing commentaries are also now putting out YouTube videos. That's true. You can find a lot of the same stuff that you would find in commentaries on YouTube. But you can also find a lot of trash on YouTube. But you can also find a lot of trash books out there, too. So in all of it, no matter which direction you're going to go, be careful. Talk to your pastor. Talk to somebody who is familiar with these debates and the different scholars and ask, hey, is so-and-so a good voice, somebody I should be listening to? Or if you're only so confident about it, what's another voice that I can use to kind of balance out my perspective? And maybe I can listen to both of these guys and by the end of it, come out to somewhere really good. So yeah, there's good stuff on YouTube. I've watched some great stuff by Michael Bird. I've listened to some great podcasts or watched them. Yes, I think YouTube's a... uh, a decent place to get stuff, but you have to be wise in what you're consuming, just like you would any other book or media. That's a good point. You know, and, and I think one of the things that's challenging there, I appreciate when a book comes out because I can check the publisher. If something is comes out and it's published by Zondervan or Thomas Nelson or Baker or whoever, that gives it a bit of legitimacy. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything in it, Mm. but it means this person is not a crackpot. I suspect we still need to be looking at people's pedigree a little bit, and that is more complicated on the Internet because we have to do all that vetting process all by ourselves. And this guy's a great preacher is not a pedigree. (laughs) it's true and pedigrees are often hard to really tease out Mm -hmm. i know we've talked on the podcast before that a lot of evangelicals are cautious about anything having to do with catholicism or people that have studied at catholic schools and so Mm -hmm. if they see like oh they went to saint andrews and that's where they got their doctorate i don't think i want to you know listen to this person that actually doesn't really flesh out in in reality. I actually think there's a lot of great scholars that have Catholic backgrounds or went to Catholic sounding school names. So I don't know. It's that's a tough thing to tease out. No, I I absolutely agree. I, I think one of the things that one of my professors in college said was you should always be listening to academic voices that are a step more academic than you. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was particularly talking about commentaries. And he said, as pastors, the kind of lay-level commentary, you'll be able to write that. So don't go reading that. 
Go read something that is academically a step above that, Hmm. that pushes you to think deeper and then become the bridge for those deeper thoughts to the people you serve. Challenging us to, to study at a level that stretches us. Yes, absolutely. So I want to open it up to the audience. I would love to know what resources everybody is using to Mm. accomplish their own personal study or have some dialogue as a community about, hey, what are some good resources? What are some good podcasts? What are some good commentaries? What are some good books? Whatever it is you find yourself drawn to, Let's help one another out in this community so that we can become better students of the word. So like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, Twitter. And if you have found this or any other podcast episode valuable, I'd encourage you to share it. Let's broaden this conversation and use it as a springboard to have some good conversation with others that are in your life. Yeah, that's good. And I'm I'm very curious what resources people use to study? That's a great question. Yeah. So you are living life, you're studying, you're engaging as a pastor and engaging in relationships. And I want to know what else is on your mind? What else are you thinking about? You know, this is something I think about a lot, but it it has been on my mind recently. I am finishing up a book that I think I mentioned a few weeks ago. It's the book Peril by Bob Woodward. Have I mentioned this before? Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm just finishing this up, and it is covering the period of time from which President Biden begins to run and President Trump loses the election, and then it runs through President Biden's first 100 days in office. So that's the time frame of the book. Okay. It is a very volatile period. The January 6th chaos happens as the climax of the story. And the thing that I have been thinking about in all of this is how careful we need to be. And this is something that I've perhaps been sensitized to by reading a lot of history. The more history I read, the more I notice the difference between telling the facts and interpreting the facts. And those are just very different. You can tell what happened in a more or less interpretive way. So, for example, there is a very big difference between he exited and he abandoned the room. Mm. Right. Those are two different sentences Mm -hmm. that one makes a judgment, one does not. And I I was thinking about this, first of all, in relationship to this book, Peril, because Bob Woodward, who's the author, who is a very solid journalist uh, who I respect, regularly is using language that I would call interpretive rather than merely reporting. Mm. I don't want to say that he's intentionally trying to skew the story. I I don't know that that's accurate because I think he uses interpretive language on both sides. 
But one of the things that's interesting to me is that the older the subject matter is, the easier it is to stick to objective language. If the book is about Abraham Lincoln, it's fairly easy to use purely descriptive language. If the book is about Genghis Khan, it's really easy to stick to descriptive (laughs) language, right? Like, you know, the further back, the more distant from us, the easier it is. The more immediate it is, the easier it is to slip into interpretive language without noticing. And I have been caught, as I often am, by how important in our daily lives it is to notice when we are looking at life, how important it is for us to notice the difference between when we are observing facts and when we are interpreting facts. Because Mm. often in the urgent, immediate moments of life, we jump to, or I, let's not say we, I jump to interpretation rather than just asking myself, what are the facts? And that leads to lots and lots of anxiety. This actually came up in a, in a therapy appointment I was in recently, as I'm very much working to make sure that I don't interpret what people say to me, to tell myself stories about what people are thinking. We just interpret so fast. And the simple right. discipline of just noting the facts and noting when we are interpreting is really important to healthy living, I think. Yeah. I mean, you alluded to this language already, but it reminds me of Brene Brown's insight about uh, the phrase, the story I'm telling myself is, Mm -hmm. and it's such a great introductory way of trying to clarify information with somebody. If my wife gives me a look that I interpret a certain way, and I need to clarify that with her, it's very disarming for me to say, the story I'm telling myself is that when I did X, you were upset and displeased with me, and this is what I got from your look. And she can confirm or deny that from there. But the fact is, I saw a look and I made an interpretation about it. Mm -hmm. So I like what you're saying is like, hey, we got to recognize what is a bare fact And what is an interpretation of that fact? Yeah. I think anybody who thinks they're really, really good at this simply doesn't have an adequate level of self-awareness. I don't, (laughs) I have seldom met anybody. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who's particularly good at this. Yeah. I'm ferreting out that kind of stuff in my life all the time. I was telling you offline about an experience I had today and the story that I was telling myself, the way I was interpreting that data. And then... I had a conversation with somebody and it all kind of crashed back down and now I could regain my equilibrium. My story was false, but boy, I'd really worked myself up thinking I had all the facts and that I was interpreting them correctly. Yep. Well, and this is the, one of the things my therapist said that I thought was interesting was one of the questions we can ask ourselves about the stories we're telling is, are they true? Another question that bypasses that altogether, because sometimes they might be true. Mm -hmm. Are they helpful? Right. Is a whole different question that I find very interesting. Okay, you might be thinking this, but is it helpful for me to think about it right now? Is it helpful for me to tell myself that story? Nope. So I have the power to stop. 
Not that I'm very good at it, but boy, I want to keep practicing. Yeah. John Ackuff talked about this actually in a really accessible way in his book, Soundtracks, where he talked very much about that thing, that the soundtracks that play over and over and over in our head. And he and to ask the question of those soundtracks, A, is it true? B, is it helpful? And it's brilliant. Awesome. So I don't even, okay, I'm going to cancel my next therapy appointment and just read that book. It'll be cheaper. <laughs> You'll get more out of therapy. It was an okay book. All right. But what about you? What are you thinking about? Yeah. So my thoughts come from translating, as I already talked about. So Monday mornings, I meet with my buddy and we translate out of Matthew. And then Tuesday mornings, we translate out of Genesis. And I actually had thoughts from both, but I'll just share the Matthew ones because this was really insightful or revealing. I think it was revealing to me in my heart because this is the story in Matthew 12 where Jesus and his disciples are walking along through the grain fields and the disciples are picking the heads of grain and eating them. And the Pharisees see this and it's, aha, we caught you. You're breaking the Sabbath laws and you shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus said, yeah, have you read your Old Testament? Because seriously, like David did this and that wasn't a problem. And then, you know, the, the priests in the temple, they break the Sabbath all the time because they're always doing work. But we've all agreed that that's going to be OK. So, like, are you even reading your Old Testament? And then, so right off the bat, ouch. But secondly, Jesus says this, and I think I would have missed it in the moment. He said, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. And I, I think I would have been so upset that, I mean, I, a Pharisee, I'm a scholar. I've been studying. I've got all of these, I don't know if they got degrees, but I've got all this recognition for my knowledge and I've been studying and I, I just know it all inside out and out. You're accusing me, A, of having never read it and B... You're saying that something greater than the temple is here? Are you serious? I mean, in hindsight, we can look and say, yeah, absolutely, something greater than the temple was here. But in that moment, man, I look at that and think, I would have been with the Pharisees. I would That would have angered me. He would have yeah. taken a shot to my pride, and then he would have declared himself greater than all of the traditions that we've held for thousands of years. How blasphemous is all of that mm. so it was humbling to just read that and go man this is this is me he like i'm i'm thankful that i get to experience this part of god's revelation from this side but there is still plenty that i get tripped up over and think i know and think that i've got it all mastered and god has to come alongside me and say you don't really get it. You need to see it from this heavenly perspective that honestly, you weren't going to get unless you were just willing to listen and not be so quick to speak. Mm. I tell you what, this reminds me so often people say, boy, I wish I had been alive when Jesus was actually physically on earth. And my immediate gut response is I am so glad I was not because mm -hmm. I am 100% sure I would have been one of the Pharisees, completely ready to stone Jesus, 
because he was messing around with what I thought the Bible was saying. Yeah, I would have thought he was a cocky, arrogant jerk who didn't pay enough attention to, to tradition, and I would have written him off. I would have missed it. Thank God for the last 2,000 years of church history that set me up to get it. Because I think it probably took all 2,000 of those years to get <laughs> the world to a point where I could connect with the message of Jesus. Yeah, and I think it goes back to our whole conversation about study. Because even today, I mean, you learn a little bit and you think you know, and then you have to come back to the text as if you've never learned it before and see mm. it from God's perspective again. And then you take that new knowledge and you work it into your heart and you work it into the text. And it's just this constant process of learning and relearning scripture because this is ultimately God's story. God is revealing it. God is doing a work in us. And gosh, if I think I've got it figured out, I've missed it. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, on a far more prosaic note, uh, we posted this week that one of us once danced with his college roommate around the dorm room, lip syncing to Nickelback. <laughs> prosaic. I, I, I agree. That was prosaic. Uh, I may have already implied this. I am not a free enough spirit for that to have been me. That was definitely Josh from Oregon, wasn't it? It was. And my college roommate is now my translation partner. But long before we contemplated doing something like that, it gets worse. We were in our boxers dancing around our dorm room floor uh, with highlighters in our hands as microphones. And we were singing. We had blasted Nickelback's This Is How You Remind Me. It, you could be heard through every floor of the dorm and we were mm. dancing around from room to room singing this. And especially where it gets to the bridge and it, it builds and it builds and it builds. And then the, the bridge finally breaks. And as the people say now, the music dropped and it's the best moment in the whole song. And boy, we rocked out to it. I still, when I hear that, I want to turn it up and I want to grab a highlighter and I want to call my roommate and I want to rock out with him because that's just what that song is for. Mm. Well, I tell you what, you can do that. You talk to him at least once a week. And all of us listening to this right now would be deeply grateful to get some kind of video of you guys. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Nobody. together, translating Hebrew and Nickelback <laughs> into one profound and God honoring whole. Oh, I don't know that Nickelback in Hebrew could ever be a God-honoring whole. <laughs> That's awesome. With that as our final mental image for this conversation, are we on for next week? We are sans Nickelback, but we're on. All right. I'll talk to you then. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.